This video is brought to you by NordVPN. Today, Ukraine hints at a new long-range weapon. Niger expels the French ambassador. The latest updates from Donald Trump's legal saga. A Saudi man is sentenced to death over tweets. And the UK closes more than 100 schools amid safety concerns. From TLDR News, this is your daily briefing for Friday the 1st of September 2023. In a Twitter post last night, the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, announced that his country had acquired a new weapon that can hit targets from up to 700 kilometers or about 435 miles away. About this weapon, Zelensky said that it was produced by Ukraine's Ministry of Strategic Industries, but did not elaborate any further. In announcing this, some analysts have suggested that Zelensky is deliberately hinting that this weapon was used to destroy several military aircraft in western Russia this week. On Wednesday, a Ukrainian air attack damaged four IL-76 military transport planes in the western Pskov region. Notably, the airport is located about 700 kilometres away from the Ukrainian border. It's also notable that Ukraine claims to have developed this weapon themselves because Ukraine's Western allies generally provide weapons on the condition that they're not used to attack Russian territory. Obviously, the same caveats do not apply to weapons that Ukraine creates themselves. Reacting to this news, the head of Ukraine's military intelligence, Kirillo Bundanov, said that Ukrainian forces now have the ability to strike any part of occupied Crimea. We'll have to see exactly how Zelensky and his Ukrainian forces use this new weapon in the coming weeks. There's more on the way, but be sure to subscribe and ring the bell to make the daily briefing part of your daily routine. Or just search for us on your podcast app to listen along. Relations between Niger and France have further deteriorated as the West African country's military junta has ordered police to expel the French ambassador after the French government refused to withdraw them despite an ultimatum. Last week, Niger's military leaders gave French ambassador Sylvain Ité 48 hours to leave the country in response to French actions they described as contrary to the interests of Niger. France refused to withdraw Ité, saying that the junta are not the country's legitimate leaders and they don't have the authority. But now the military-led government says the French ambassador no longer enjoys the privileges and immunities attached to his status as a member of the diplomatic staff of the embassy and has ordered the police to expel him from the country. The military coup in late July deposed the country's elected president, Mohamed Bazoum, who had been an ally of Western powers like France. EU foreign ministers met this week and agreed to start drafting sanctions to impose on Niger's coup leaders, saying that the measures would mirror those imposed by the West African regional bloc ECOWAS, which has taken the toughest line against the coup so far and has even threatened military intervention. So that's what's been happening in Niger. Let's move and discuss some US news. In a further interesting development in the Donald Trump legal saga, it seems that his trial in Georgia over election fraud will be live-streamed and televised. Judge Scott McAfee confirmed that all the hearings will be available live on Fulton County Court's YouTube channel. This is a practice that's common in Fulton County's courts. Right now, it's not known exactly when the trial is going to be. We do know, though, that it'll take place sometime next year while Trump is running for president. Prosecutors in the Georgia case allege that the former president tried to pressure Georgian officials to reverse the result of the presidential election. 
a recording of Trump on a call with the state's Secretary of State has been discovered, in which he claims that they should recalculate the vote tally. Trump is also heard saying, I just want to find 11,780 votes. In other US news, it's been reported today that a leader of the far-right Proud Boys group has been sentenced to 17 years in prison, the longest sentence handed out yet for the January the 6th Capitol insurrection. US Army veteran Joe Biggs was, according to the prosecutor, an instigator of the insurrection. In court, Biggs expressed remorse for his actions. Before we get on to news from Saudi Arabia, I wanted to tell you that in today's daily discussion, Jack quizzes myself and Rory on news from this week. That's exclusively on Nebula, so use the link in the description to sign up if you haven't already. Rights groups have called for Saudi Arabia to quash the ludicrous death sentence imposed on a retired schoolteacher who was convicted for his activity on social media sites like Twitter and YouTube. According to court documents, the charges levelled against Mohammed al-Ghamdi include betraying his religion, supporting a terrorist ideology, impugning the kingdom and the crown prince, and more, all related to his online activity. According to Amnesty International, al-Ghamdi has a total of just 10 followers on both his anonymous Twitter accounts, which he used to express his opinions, including criticism of the king, crown prince, and the country's foreign policy, and calling for the release of jailed religious clerics. Al-Ghamdi's brother, who lives in self-imposed exile in the UK, believed that authorities passed down a death sentence as retaliation for his own activism outside of Saudi Arabia. It forms part of a wider crackdown on dissent in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, during which lengthy prison sentences have been imposed on others for their online activity, including Salma al-Shahab, who was sentenced to 27 years in jail for her following and retweeting of activists and dissidents. The relevance of Twitter in these cases has raised tough and as yet unanswered questions for the platform's owner Elon Musk. Saudi Prince Al-Walid bin Talal and his kingdom holding company is the second largest shareholder in Twitter, having backed Musk's takeover last year. The UK government is currently responding to news that schools built with reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete, or RAAC, are at risk of collapse. In total, the government has ordered the closure of around 100 schools, as the type of concrete used is about 80% air with it being described as like an aero bar. This kind of concrete was used to build schools between the 1950s and 1970s. It's been recently discovered that this kind of concrete can cause buildings to collapse. This news comes at an inopportune time, as schools are just about to reopen after the lengthy summer holidays. The government has not yet announced which schools will have to remain closed, and parents are being told that they must wait until they're told by their schools specifically. The National Education Union says that this scandal is absolutely disgraceful and a sign of gross incompetence. At one point, there were suggestions that schools themselves would have to pay for the temporary accommodation and transport costs of their students. Schools Minister Nick Gibb has refuted this, though, saying that the guidance has been misinterpreted and that the government would be covering these costs. In some uplifting news this week, the FBI and its European partners have infiltrated and disrupted a major global malware network behind the Quatsbot software, which has been used for 15 years to commit a huge volume of online crimes. The operation identified more than 700,000 infected computers worldwide. 
To disrupt the botnet, the FBI redirected QuackBot traffic to FBI-controlled servers. They instructed infected devices to download and uninstall a file, which untethered infected computers from the botnet and prevented the installation of any additional malware. The FBI says it neutralized this far-reaching criminal supply chain, cutting it off at the knees, adding that it represents one of the largest US-led disruptions of a botnet infrastructure used by cybercriminals. Following stories and doing independent journalism often requires a fair bit of travel, from attending the NATO summit in Lithuania or Munich Security Conference, to exploring Aldi across Germany, or being forced to hang out with fellow Nebula creators. It's alright for some people. What is consistently annoying though is the technology. When you need to work from abroad or even just access the services you're used to, it's often way harder than you'd like, requiring endless verification, validation and authentications. As I'm sure you already know, that's when NordVPN comes into play, helping you connect to the internet wherever you are. Whether that's connecting back at home so your work account doesn't freak out, or connecting to another country from the comfort of your living room to get discounts on your next trip. That's right, very often other countries get cheaper prices for flights, with research finding US consumers pay up to three times more. NordVPN are actually currently running a major back-to-school promotion, which means that when you sign up for a two-year plan, you not only get a massive discount, but you also get an extra four months. That's a huge discount if you click our link. Plus, Nord will keep sponsoring TLDR if people click it. We've been told that sometimes when people hear us talk about NordVPN, they open up a tab, start searching, but they don't click our link. I'm certainly glad that they get the service, but you only get the discount and you only support the channel through that link. So if you're trying to improve our journalism by signing up for Nord, use our link when you do, and you'll get their great service at a discount.